Hi, I'm Olivia Wayne and welcome to Live in the Moment. This is a series dedicated to living life to the fullest, which as we know is not always easy and is especially tricky when combating a global pandemic. I do believe though there is always something we can do or try to shift our mindset to remember that life is good and living it to the fullest is something within our control. I am so excited to chat today to today's most inspiring and brilliant guest. (laughs) find out what keeps her motivated, happy, positive, and living in the moment. Michal Oshman is head of company culture, diversity, and inclusion at TikTok Europe, and was formerly responsible for international leadership and team development at Facebook. Throughout her career, Michal has trained and coached hundreds of tech leaders. She served as an officer in the Israeli Defense Forces and has three university degrees in psychodynamic and systemic thinking, sociology, and anthropology. Michal lives with her husband and their four children in London. He's also her tech expert. (laughs) Trust me on that. What would you do if you weren't afraid is her first book. And first of all, that's pretty impressive. Your plate seems very, very full. Yes, indeed. And it sounds big. Hi, Olivia. Thank you for welcoming me to your to your show and, and for saying my name so brilliantly well, because uh, it's, it's not an easy name to pronounce. No, perfect. Like, no, my name is Michal, but I, I say in the book that, you know, I'm Israeli. It's a Jewish Israeli name. And when you live outside of your country, so many people can't pronounce it. So when someone pronounces it really well, I immediately Aww. feel like I'm at home. Good. So thank you. Um, but listen, you read this long list of things and, you know, I call it kind of the linked in me, right? Uh, which is actually part of the story. So yes, those things that you shared are definitely things that I've done and they describe me. But obviously what you don't know is what's not on LinkedIn is what goes within one's soul and heart and uh, you know the challenges that people go through life. And that's one of the reasons that led me to, to write the book is kind of that unveiling what sometimes we don't know that goes on behind uh, behind the curtains, I guess. So on that, um, you have written this book and you know, you're, you weren't an author. This wasn't your kind of career plan trajectory. But through the work and learning and what it is work on yourself, isn't it, that you've done, you just wanted to share the wisdom yes. that you've learned. But, you know, you talk about soul. You just did. You spoke about your soul and, and spirit. Were those concepts that you thought about before doing the work did you Absolutely about- not. Of wow. course, I did not know. I, d- I had no idea I had a soul. The concept, a concept of the soul. And by the way, you know this. This is called Jewish wisdom, but it's universal. You know, universal wisdom. So this is about really for for about self 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 development, self learning through the lens of. Jewish wisdom, but as we know, there's many wisdoms, and this is just one that it's not accessible at the moment in in, in our context. Um, so I had no idea I had a soul. I grew up in a house, um, as I said, I'm, I'm Israeli, and I'm what we call in Israel or outside of Israel, third generation uh, Holocaust survivor. So I I, I live just near my grandparents who. Who, who survived the Holocaust and my grandmother. And so I know it's quite deep, but, but in order to, and no, obviously personal. God, no, because I like, I, I, you know, my, my grandmother, my grandmother uh, jumped off the train on the way to Auschwitz. She, she, like everyone else felt that something very bad was going to happen. And we were just, you know, I guess lucky that she managed to squeeze herself through the cracks of the train and, and literally jump 
and, and really endure herself. But but she 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 survived the war. Um, but when I grew up, because she was so post traumatized. The first things that I remember from my childhood is her screaming at night from, from, from nightmares, being really afraid that this could happen again. And I remember her shouting, screaming, don't take Michal, I mean, obviously in Hebrew. Um, so I was brought up really from, um, brought up by survival kind of mindset, but, but very much post, uh, post-trauma. And other things that happened in my childhood were, my life was more about death or the possibility of death or a possibility of something really bad happening than about joy. Um, um, is that living in Israel as well, or is that kind of irrelevant, or does it inform that? I think from my own, you know, Olivia, I'm sharing my own story. So yes, my story is is also the story in the context of Israel. And um, my father was also the head forensic pathologist of the country, and during a very difficult time in Israel. So, you know, terror attacks, and as I said, gr- bad things were very... Um, in my life on, on a daily basis. And, you know, but that's my story. Other, other people have their own childhood stories. And yes. So, you, you know, I, I think that uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do in the book is, is, is actually say how we often think that what happened to us in childhood just made us who we are and, and we can't make any, you know, we can't let go of it or we can't leave it behind. But actually when do you discover that you're in a much longer journey, you could look backwards and say, yes, those things happened and bad things happened. But now when I'm here today, a 45-year-old mother, I, I, I want I want, I want, want to feel in a different way. I, I actually want to be less anxious and more positive and bad things can happen. But if something's bad not, not happening in this moment, then, then we're okay. We can carry on. Yeah. So, I mean, again, this year I think has been quite an introspective year for everyone, you know. But you're right, I think... Is one thing acknowledging, yes, my childhood has informed a lot of how I've been, but you don't have to therefore be stuck in that. You can yeah. do work and and heal yourself from your childhood situations or experiences, which is what you've done. Why, though, did you decide in the moment that you did, and please tell us when that moment was, to make the change? And why did you then look to Jewish wisdom for that kind of resource to do so? So I, I had no idea the, that there was a Jewish wisdom. I, I grew up, I'm, I'm, a, I'm Jewish, I grew up yeah, to a Jewish yeah, home. <laughs> because I think, first of all, again, without generalizing, at least the community that I was brought up in Israel, so I'm like a Tel Aviv girl. I was you know, brought up in a, in a Jewish home, but we would, I guess, what's called kind of culturally Jewish or Jewish by birth. We, I was, I obviously had that identity, but it didn't, mean something for me in the sense of, you know, what could this mean? You know, I never considered it as a, as a, as a, as a way to develop my identity. Um, and, and by the way, when I write about Judaism in the book, it's not in the sense of what you eat or what you do eat, like kosher or what you wear or what you not wear. It's just the acknowledgement that we all have godly souls inside of us. So we, we all have that flame that just always wants to grow and always and never gets contaminated. It never gets dirty. I mean, all those things that maybe happened to us or maybe we did to others and we regret and it causes us pain, those things don't touch the soul. And I got to a point when I was 38 and all sorts of memories and things were really causing me to think that there's no hope. But when I realized that there's a part of me that's never been touched and 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 as as pure as it was when I when I was born, 
it gave me a lot of hope and I just had to go on a, on a journey to discover it. Now, that sounds very, um, you know, that sounds all, all kind of beautiful and very spiritual. But at the same time, I very much live in the day to day. You know, I don't I would love to one day learn how to meditate or take myself somewhere. Or, but like yeah. I'm all, all of that search was done in the moment with the babies, working at Facebook, you know, doing things. But I realized that I have to do something else than therapy and maybe medication because it wasn't taking me to that place that I was looking for. Um, and through learning this wisdom that was created thousands of years ago to help us navigate life today. I mean, yeah, how smart. Yeah. It's, it's, it's becoming even more and more relevant. And I think often people, or at least I used to look at, at and, you know, look back and say, well, what does that have to do with me? Um, but there was one moment. Um, as you said, there was one moment I was 38 years old. I had three gorgeous, thank God children today. I have four married on the surface, but, and really I had great, great, great things to celebrate, but inside I, I was, I felt completely lost and I was really feeling guilty. I, yes. I was feeling ashamed because I was like, Michal, you got it all. Like, why, why can't you be happy? Why can't you? But something inside me just knew I wasn't living I wasn't where I was supposed to be. So like when you checked off your list, you know, like wonderful husband, beautiful, healthy children, good job that I enjoy. Yes. So then how did you know to just keep going deeper and not think, oh, maybe this is just me. Maybe it is a chemical imbalance in me. Like how did you know it was something within you that was different? So the or chemical, the, the, the chemical, ex you know, imbalance, I took medications. <laughs> that that was like, I, I I balanced myself, right? Yeah. Um. It was it was waking up in the morning and saying, oh, sorry. So this is this. This is the story like this is, you know, this is life. And again, it's it sounds horrible to say that because I have and I, I had and I have so much. But I, I really want to I want to be honest. I think many of us often have so much, but we're not exactly who we should who we want to be. And 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 asking this question of purpose. Uh, now, I know purpose sounds like a huge thing and like. Oh, find your purpose is like could actually almost like be annoying to ask but I actually think that my purpose was to reconnect to to my heritage I think that my purpose was to rediscover things within within, within my kind of history and to find myself myself there and there are concepts in the Jewish wisdom that now that I've discovered them I was like it makes sense you know it, it makes sense that when you're lost there's a concept in Judaism that's, that's called in Hebrew teshuvah, which is returning to yourself. And it means kind of when we're lost, well, the best thing that we could do is take a moment and return to, to return, like remind ourselves that, you know, we may be lost, but there is this essence inside of us. And that essence, that soul knows where it should go. And one of the gifts I think that I discovered in Judaism is, is the, is the rest day of Shabbat, which is, you know, the, the Saturday, the Sabbath. And, I never, I never practiced Shabbat, but actually I realized that with this lifestyle that we're living, it's such a blessing to have one day with no iPhones and no this, and I don't drop them off to, you know, to stuff and I don't do the laundry. Just one day when I just take for myself, with myself, and also with my family. So in Judaism, it's Shabbat, but anyone can decide, but you have to be really committed yeah. to make space for less noise. And um, so yeah. when you made that choice with your family, with your husband, did everyone get on board or was it forced or was it just you doing it? Like, 
you know and, and also you know this whole podcast I you know I want to give people also some practical well not practical tools but kind of hear what other people do for them to to remind themselves and live in the moment and clearly you do this so what yes. is it you do is it taking a day yeah um you know how do you remind yourself life's getting a bit frantic and crazy how yes. do you bring it back yeah so of course there's a, all of the book is about practical tools so I'll, I'll ask I want to answer your first question and then go quickly to the second no not everyone went not everyone followed me at home it was okay. like anything else. It was a journey. And I think, you know, think about the day of Shabbat. So you're, my, my kids were normally on iPhones and da, da, da. Suddenly you're telling them, yay, no TV. Like try to take an iPad from a seven-year-old on the, on the day that they don't have school, right? Anyone that has kids know that it's a challenge. But I explained that we're doing this for the family. I explained that because we're all, all over the, you know, running and working and all of that, that our family needs some space together. But it took it took time. But, but as you said, you don't have to keep the day of Shabbat. You don't have to be Jewish to practice these things. These are uni universal concepts. So one of the things that I introduced to our family culture, and by the way, I call our family, I look at our family as like a little company, right? Which is like, and, and a company means that like it's myself and my husband. We're like the CEO or whatever. <laughs> so he was less uh, chief tech, technical officer. And then we we lead we lead this family right like my husband and I are are the leaders of this family in a in a in a really meaningful way, and we had honest conversations about how is it going for us you know within the family and we realized that we never sit together, and we were always distracted in something else. So one of the things that we do on Friday night and you can do it and whatever your family dinner is is this thing called the compliments game, and what it is is that we go around the table and every time one of the children or the parents pays a compliment, says something really nice to the siblings um, and to my husband and to myself. And we kind of go around the table and and we just give compliments. Um, so initially, when we started this game, you know, no one had something to say. Yeah. <laughs> so like my I have four kids, thank God. Yeah, and two of them. telling us just their ages? Yes. Or... So I have a, I have 15, 12, 8 and 4. So my two eldest ones um couldn't find something nice to say to each other for a very very long time um and 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 they were like we can't do this game we don't have anything nice to say now they're very nice children but they didn't have they didn't practice this thing inside of them when you're kind of invited to say something pleasant they were like speechless and 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 they really found it hard and for me it was so interesting to see that it was hard for them to say something beautiful about their sibling and they love each other and yeah. we realized that you know that that's not that muscle wasn't wired so even they even though they objected i said we are now we're going to be so committed to this it's game okay. so we've been playing yeah, it's okay. So anyway, of course, there were prizes. The person that gives most compliments gets extra dessert. I mean, you always need to encourage. Yeah. <laughs> but where, where it took us as a family on a journey is that the kids are now wired during the week to look for good things within each other because they know that on Friday night, there's going to be a compliments game. And then we'll, they'll be asked to say something nice about the family. So now when we sit for compliments game, they just comes, it just, it just, it's a, it flows, it floats out of them. And I really hope that they do the same with their friends at school and with my parents and like that, that, that we become wired to say kind things and just have it immediately at, at yeah. for, for sharing. Wow. Gosh, Michal, that's inspired. I mean, <sighs> you ever use that in the workplace? Like, yes. 
Yes. So, and how does that manifest in the workplace where it's obviously not like, I guess the compliment is on the work or the... Or, I really, I'm really happy that you asked me this because I do use it at work. And I think sometimes I see people like really cringe. <laughs> and for me, it's so interesting. If someone says something nice about me, I'm like, yeah, don't, don't stop yourself. Um, but I think, you know, I think that people think that... Um, I find that people f- f- find themselves feeling a bit vulnerable when they hear something nice about themselves. Yeah. Um, and sometimes people get, but exactly. But, 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 but one of, one of the things that I work with, with leaders and with teams is like, you know, own it. Own, yes. Own your mistakes and own your failures, but own your, own your wisdom, own your beautiful you. Right. And sometimes people find it harder to own the fabulous things about themselves and they feel more comfortable going to the things that they, that they're not happy with. And that needs to be corrected. Did you learn all this from your work or is this how you've always been? I'm all, I, I love going deep on things, right? So, so I love like if 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 I fall in love with something, I I will I'll, I'm all in. But but when I discovered, um, listen, Olivia, when I was brought up, I was taught that being perfect was the only option. So a big reason I think for my anxiety is this fear of failing. And when you're afraid of afraid of failing, and when you're afraid not to be perfect, it just triggers all sorts of things in your system. Around the time that I discovered the Jewish wisdom, I discovered a beautiful saying within the wisdom that says, there's nothing more complete than a broken heart. And that just released something inside of me because I was always trying to stay intact, right? Beautiful this and beautiful behavior. When I go with my parents to friends, I'm that daughter that always makes them proud. Never fail. So much pressure. When it started being uh, a bit difficult to be perfect is actually when I started becoming a mom. And one of my hardest, I could even cry when I think about it, one of the hardest experiences that I had as a first-time mom is that I wasn't able to breastfeed. So I prepped to breastfeed. I went to all of the, you know, I read and I, I had this, I had this fantasy, this dream of holding my daughter and, and, uh, and, and, and doing that beautiful thing. But what doesn't matter, like what I, how I tried and which, what position I was sitting in, like no milk came out. And it was devastated and I was broken. Uh, my body was broken. I was crying. She was crying endlessly. And I, but I really didn't want to fail. So I didn't give her formula for a couple of days. And, and, and it, it wasn't good. Um, but, 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 but then, uh, you know, how sometimes in life you're, you're in such a low place and then someone just comes from nowhere and saves you. In that moment, my father, who normally is not a person that shares too much emotion or feelings, he, he's a, he's a professor in medicine. He held my hand when I was in hospital, nonstop crying. And, and he was like, your daughter will be the brilliant girl that she was meant to be with formula, with breast, oh, with, with anything. Well, anything, just yeah. give her food, just feed this little baby. And you know what? I took the formula. I allowed myself to fail, but I realized this motherhood thing is going to be full, filled with broken heart moments. And that's when I realized that also as a mom, as a wife, as a community member, like it's only when the heart actually breaks and that gap between the pieces of, of the breaking, that's where growth happens. Like, how can you grow a heart if it doesn't break? 
There's no space for growth. Mm-hmm. And you know, that disappointment in the hospital, even though it was heartbreaking, taught me so much about motherhood. I will fail myself and them, but I will only become a good, I will only become a better mother, hopefully out of it, if I know how to like continue bounce and, and yeah, ca- bounce back. Bounce yeah. back. Yeah. My thing is there is nothing more complete than a broken heart. Acknowledging the fact that I will break, my heart will get broken and I will eventually break very closest people's hearts by mistake, but we're going to have a stronger marriage, a stronger relationship out of it. We just need to be able to acknowledge that life was never supposed to be without breaking, that breaking is part of life. Oh, you're so wise. This wisdom's really paid off. (laughs) Um, Oh my gosh, thank you. With your husband... Who's yeah, here sitting next to me just in case yeah, something know. goes wrong with the tech? <laughs> but so you're 38 years old, you've got your three kids, your lovely marriage, your but you're just not feeling like you're waking up every day and like something's not right. I don't just I don't feel like I should feel. Were you communicating this to him? You know, we yes. or was this all very internal for you? And what what was his view of it all? And Clearly, he's obviously supportive of your journey. Yes. Um, but, yes. you know, how did that work in the kind of real day-to-day element of it all? And you feeling yeah. so anxious. How how did that play on him? You know, did he understand? Oh, I just want to come to your house oh, and just... <laughs> no, this is great. Listen, Olivia, if we had more of these conversations, I think we would have happier marriages. Seriously. Um, so... For, for I think the first five years of our marriage, I kind of um, didn't share certain things with him because I wanted things to be perfect. <sighs> that word, awful. Um, but there isn't perfect. We agreed on that already. So very, you know, I don't know, four or five years into the marriage, he gave me some feedback. I gave him some feedback and we realized that we were actually bringing our parents' marriage into our marriage yeah. And there was a clear out of our parents from our marriage. Um, and we decided yeah, together we're cleaning. In one ra- marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We don't, we don't, we don't need six people here. Two is enough. So, but again, we were very honest, you, you know, we, we were very honest. And I said to him, I don't feel safe. And he was like, I, and he said to me, I feel like you, you expect me to be your father. And la, 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 la. Yeah, so sorry, but I do love the way you said we gave each other feedback. <laughs> Like, yes. Oh, we give feedback at home. Oh, well, we do. Oh my gosh, feedback is part of this family culture. So I'm not. I'm not. I don't know. It sounds crazy to see people no, from outside. So we have we have the one percent feedback rule. So the way it works is the assumption is that we are each a hundred percent. We're marvelous. We're great, right? Um, and most days we are being the ninety nine percent great people that we can be towards others and to ourselves. But there's always like the 1% of like something that I'm doing that's either hurting or disappointing or not comfortable for someone else. But I'm it's my blind spot. I don't know that I'm doing it. And the only way I can grow as a person, as a mother, as a leader, as a wife, is that if I get feedback about that 1%. But it's done with the assumption that it's 1%. So it's not like a 50-50, right? Yeah. I'm awesome. You're awesome right? You're awesome. But what's that 1% thing that if I had, if I had that one, so let's say if I drive with my husband somewhere, 
And I was like, hey, Yair, what's my 1% for this week, right? And I kind of casually ask it. So he was like, I'm fed up with these podcasts. I'm fed up with the stress of IT. I'm not your IT man. Let's think about. So I know I'm stressing him out, okay? Yeah. Um, and of course, that's a silly example. But in a more, in a more deeper way, you, you know, the, the 1% feedback that I did get from my husband early on in the marriage is that, as I said, I'm bringing my parents' marriage into ours and he didn't he he wanted us to have our own marriage and i think that's a legit you know that that's that's completely legit and Definitely. actually now how did you stop it how did you then be like cuz i i imagine it's so ingrained and wired and programmed into your very you know part of your identity how did you just say oh sure i just won't do that anymore like how so one of the things that i work on is my ego um and uh, going back to the Jewish wisdom, the, the belief is that we have we have a tension within ourselves all the time. We live on this internal tension. And then tension is between, and it sounds not so great in English, but I'll say it, between our kind of good inclination and our bad inclination. And bad doesn't mean like, you know, evil, bad inclination. It means like that thing that we want to do. It's not really good. <laughs> it's not helping anyone. And it's coming from that place in us that's not helpful. So I became very aware of like, what is my good inclination? I think I'm a giver. I'm a lover. I, I want people to shine. But what's my bad inclination? And, and pretty much that's what's my ego. And often it's come, it's triggered by insecurities. So for example, I used to call my husband a lot um, on the phone. Hey, where are you? And it drove him crazy. So, <laughs> so you know, if I was letting myself go to my bad self, I was saying, he doesn't love me. He doesn't want to talk to me. But when I asked him, like, why does it bother you so much? He said, I feel like you're checking where I am all the time. And it, I, don't, I don't enjoy, like, stop doing it. Yeah. So I had to do work on myself to say that he cannot carry my insecurities. But almost like when you think about what's the worst you can happen and you say it and then you let it go, then you're living more happily in the present. Bad things can happen. But you know what? This moment now, I'm with you having this conversation. We're okay. You have this just awareness. It's like you can look at yourself from outside, you know. When the when the emotions rise up, though, or that knot in your stomach comes or, you know, the anxiety takes over – now, having done all the work you've done, does it still come, first of all? And second of all, what do you do then to just remind yourself, no, we're in this moment and it's all good. This is all in my head or it's all a worry. It's not real. What do you do? Of course. So, Olivia, the anxiety is not gone. It's just that I'm controlling her. I call her her. Rather, she's in control of me. So, I decided to continue carry this anxiety in me because it's, it's my DNA. It's, it's who I am. I had I had a coach asking me once, you know, if you if you if someone could come and cut all of your bad memories, all of your anxiety, just cut that bit off of you, would you do it? And that's that's a very powerful question. Because would I? Like would you cut the part of you that just gives you suffering or pain or makes your life harder? I don't know about you, but I decided that I wouldn't. I want to keep all those bits that make me, but I want to learn how to live with it. So for example, I give you a very practical example and anyone that suffers from anxiety knows this. Well, I assume they would know it. 
So when does anxiety play out and how can you work on it? For example, when uh, when the school sends a, a note to say, are you giving permission for a school trip? Every time I used to send those notes and sign, I felt like I was signing my child's death um, death sentence because I just knew, of course, from fear that there's going to be an accident. The coach is going to have an accident. They'll be lost in the museum. There's going to be a terror attack. Like my assumption in the morning was that the day is going to end horribly wrong. And even though I eventually did sign the, the form because I don't want my kids to be excluded, the whole day would be phones, you know, TV, watching, waiting for the bad news. Like that, but, but you know, oh. there was, it was, yeah, yeah but every day, everything, but every time you give my, I gave them like a grape, I sent them with a box of grapes. Did I cut all the grapes to four? Did I not? You know, th- these are, it's, these are fears. And I, you know, I think they're completely legit. So does it mean that I don't send them trips to the trips? No. Does that mean that I, you know, don't let them eat grapes? I do. But what I try to, what I try to tell myself is that, this fear, yes, it's legit and I can think about it. But at the same time, if I want to live in a meaningful way here and in a healthy way for myself, I have to do the best, to my knowledge, take the best actions that I can. And if something, God forbid, happens, we will ha- we will deal with it. And and one of the things that I love about spiritual spirituality or spiritual Judaism is that there's this thing is like always always go forward, always take the step. It's almost like being frozen, being in the moment is not an option. Uh, And you're right, self-awareness is huge. I actually think that if people do nothing apart from being a bit more self-aware, huge growth will come. Like, for example, tools for self-awareness. As a manager, think about when you enter a room, what kind of energy do you bring with you? Even a Zoom room, okay? How much of the time do you talk and how much of the time do you let others talk? And the same at home. How much space am I making for my children to be the people that they were born to do, to be, sorry? Or how much of I, or how much am I imposing on them my dreams, my expectations? Simple, just in your head. Just, yeah. Yeah. It's not a lot of work to do, but gosh, there could be so much change from that. I think so. But aren't you exhausted? Like (laughs) the time and the energy, like at the moment, you know, I've got like loads going on, like, you know, in my head and it's just so shattering. Like I'm just like, I've got to do the work. It's like, I'm just tired, you know, from it. How do you keep you seen like you have a very important and busy job, I assume. You've got all these children, a lovely husband who you talk a lot with, you know. Yes. You're not like shutting him out. But how do you do it all? Like, just come on, give us the real tips here. Is it coffee? Like, what is this? Well, I, dr- I drink, so I, I don't, I, I, I think physically I'm not probably living a super healthy lifestyle. I drink coffee, I drink, like, I, I think coffee is great, but never mind. Uh, listen, like, Olivia, it's very possible that, you know, I, when I finish this call with you, like, I'm going to put my head on the desk, and like, oh my gosh, great, like, done, what's my next task, right? Yeah. I move, I move from task to task. I don't want to fake things. I am exhausted, but inside I'm full of energy. Yeah. So, because I think I found my thing. I think I found my thing. And by the way, when I say my thing, this is my thing now. And maybe in five years, my thing will be something else. 
But one of the things, one of the terms I love that Viktor Frankl um, writes about in, in, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, and I don't want to go too deep on this. I don't, I know we don't have time, but he actually says that one of the things that our generation and the generation before us are is suffering from is something that's called existential vacuum, where actually often we feel empty, even though we have things and beautiful things, because there's some vacuum and some, some, some void. So something inside of us either is not filled or filled with the wrong things. So I actually let go of a lot of things. Like I gave, I'm like not doing jealousy anymore. I'm not doing jealousy. Done, done with, done with jealousy. Seriously. How did you I, do it? Not done. Not I'm done. I'm, how did you let, how did you say, no, I'm not playing that game anymore with first, myself? Uh, first of all, I acknowledge the fact that I, 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 I know what jealousy is about. Like I, I was, I was jealous. I had these two women, um, that I was, I mean, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say it, but I don't care. Like I was, I was <laughs> jealous of, you, you know, I, and, and I remember like looking at them, it's like, oh, what she's this. And it's like, how, how am I really helping myself with, but it's so normal to be jealous. But what I think, I think when you're jealous, what you can say is like, okay, one option is to be jealous. The other way is to say, what is it about that person? And for me, it's normally like a, a, a woman that demonstrates like, you know, living life in a really meaningful way. What is it about her that triggers this, this jealousy inside of me? And, and, you know, is it about that thing or is it because I'm still not solving my own void, my own vacuum? That's just a trigger. I don't really want to be her, but because I'm, I have my own void in something, she's just actually triggering something in me. So I took myself again in my head on like when I'm feeling certain bad feelings, it's actually because something's not solved in myself. Now, we often live a full life with not solving everything in ourselves. That's okay. But what's that one thing in myself that I can try to solve? And then immediately it's like, okay, let's start having a real conversation. What's not going well in myself? And that's how the journey goes. In your book, at the end of each chapter, you kind of ask questions. Yeah. And I am reading your book and I'm loving it. And I'll be honest, I, I wanted to get through way more before our chat, but those little okay. people just won't allow it sometimes. Um, but the questions you ask, I was like, oh, I can't even go. I don't know. Like, you know, I, I personally, and I just, I say this because I assume this is lots of people, I hope. I don't even know how to answer them. I don't even know how to go deep enough to no you know like what's yeah. the one thing that you yeah I don't know and how yeah. did you get this clarity on yourself how did you find those answers Olivia it's, it's I, I appreciate you saying this because listen I asked I asked deep deep questions and 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 I think that we shouldn't answer all of them we should just you know choose the one um but for example one of the questions that I ask in the book is is about you know answering the question of the title of the book, what would you do if you weren't afraid? And, you know, it's a scary, it's a scary question to ask. Um, but even if we start asking ourselves just in our head, we don't have to, it's not about doing big things. Also, I'm not, I'm not talking about move country, yeah. you know, start this. It's like, if I wasn't afraid and often it's, if I wasn't afraid of failure, mm. like what would I do? And for some people is to sign up on that course in university, even though it's been 20 years since I finished school. And for someone else, it would be continue going back to dancing, even though the last time I moved my body in that way was when I was 16. And for some people, it's like 
dating that person, even though there's no assurances or no guarantees that that date will go well. I, I see people that I coach that because they want to get everything perfect, they don't take small moves that can bring them that thing that they want because we want to be guaranteed and we're not guaranteed. Have you failed in your life? How much time do you have? Really? <laughs> a million have times. You, really? A big, little, any can Everything. You give an Everything. Oh, I've, 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 I'm trying to think about, I failed, I failed, oh, I failed during COVID. So, so I will try not to be emotional now because this is very fresh. So during COVID, I was writing the book, right? So I was sick with COVID and, and it, it, it was a bit difficult. So I was sick with COVID. I had a deadline of submitting the book. The man, you know, I had, I had to write the book. Um, I was the only one sick at home and the family wasn't um, at some point. So I was like locked in a door for in my room for 10 days. And my daughter was scratching. My baby was tracking. Like oh. mentally, it was a big, it was a big, I can still hear those scratches. Mentally, it triggered me. If, 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 if I could almost fall back to the versions of me that were less good for me, that was the moment. But I knew I had, to, I had to write this book. I just knew that. And what happened is one of my children who found Zoom land and way and lockdown harder, he needed me more. And I could see that he needed me more. And I wasn't there for him the way he wanted me to be. And I kind of knew I was doing it, but I was in all of that. Um, you know, I was, I was in the middle of, the, of, 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 of all of that. And two days ago, I had a meeting with his teacher three days ago. And um, and she said, I, can I tell you something? I really hope I'm not crossing a, a line. Well, she, she was, but it's fine because I don't believe yeah, it's fine. And she said, I feel that uh, I feel that you weren't there enough for my son's name during COVID. And, um, you know, I, I think you have some kind of repair, like some correction to do with him because because, you know, because some, now he's kind of referring to that time as like a, a reason for him not progressing at school and all of that. And, and she gave me feedback. She gave me feedback. And she actually, what she told me, she put a mirror in front of my face. And you said, she said, you know, Michal, when you're trying to do all those things, it, does, it doesn't work perfectly. There's one person in your family that you failed. And I, and I owned it because she's right. There were moments, Olivia, when I could either stay in my office and do things or jump on a Zoom call with him with his friends. And sometimes I chose to stay in the office and probably too many times. So this was two, this was this feedback that I received was two, three days ago. I, I, I took a I, I took a moment. I said thank you to the teacher. I took a moment. I went downstairs and I said to my son, I told the son, my son, what his teacher said. And he was like, Yeah, but you know that, don't you? Uh, and I said, I know that, but to hear it from your teacher was really hard. Like now more than I know that. And then I said to him, I'm not going to mention his name, but I said, like, I'm sorry. I know I, I got it wrong. Ima, Ima, which is mother in Hebrew, Ima got it wrong. And I don't want to have any more lockdowns, but I promise you that the next time that I'll feel that you need me, I won't do that thing that matters to me and I'll do what matters to you. But if I'll do my best, but it could happen again, but I really hope it doesn't. And you could just see his face, Olivia, just, just by me saying that as his mother. I think like the day after, he almost forgot about it. He just needed it. Yeah. But it's a blessing. It's a blessing that A, she said it to me in a very strong way. B, that I was able to say it to him. 
Because if not, he would be growing with this thing inside of him and many other things that I fail. And then when he's 25, sitting on the couch in the therapy room, he was like, my mom, who wanted to be a first time author during the pandemic, didn't find time to, you know, and maybe he'll still say it and I will need, I'll be responsible for that. And please don't think that I don't spend time with my children on Zoom. But between four children with four different laptops, I wasn't able to I, I I knew I was I was always going to fail one of them, and unfortunately, I did. But you grow and you learn and you move on, and and now you know if these situations come up again, you'd handle yeah. it differently. I yeah, will. We're just human, right? Learning all the time. Oh, Michal, you are so wise. I love the one percent. I love the um, compliments game. I love the owning your mistake. I mean, what a great example of that. You'd like to go to your child. You could have easily not, you know, you could have easily been like, oh, I'll know this for me, but I don't need to kind of fess up to them. But that is that's teaching them great skills, too, isn't it? To own it. I really hope I I have two boys, two girls specifically on my boys I really hope well I am kind of envy whoever marries them of course but I feel duh but I really hope that when we are trying to bring this thing to to our home I really hope that when they come you know parents themselves and community people uh and caring about the world I really hope that this this practice at home will help them own their mistakes correct when they're getting something wrong but also celebrate how awesome they are. And I do tell my kids very often, like, oh my gosh, you are such brilliant people. Like you're much better than me or Abba. You're like, you're like, I, I'm proud of you. And um, I, ma- I make sure I tell them this, not every second, but in those right moments, I look into their eyes and I say, I, I see you. I see you going three lockdowns practicing new things, going, moving to a big school. I see your fear. I see it. And you're really doing well. You're really, really, really doing well. And I think it fills their heart with, with confidence. And we only need really love and confidence, I think. Well, I mean, if you strip it all back, that's kind of what you, you know, that everything else doesn't matter. You can sort everything else. Just keep going. I think so. Michal, (laughs) wonderful. You're so amazing. You are. It's amazing. I think everyone should be very grateful that you had, well, it's a shame you had to go on this journey, but actually, thank you. I'm pleased you did. I'm sorry you suffered to get there type thing, but wow. Olivia, can I say thank you to you about something very specific? No one knows who I am, right? I, I have a name that no one can pronounce. Uh, a book that no one knows about. I'm. I'm. I, I don't have social media presence. I'm like. I'm. I don't want to say I'm nobody in the eyes of like, you know, getting familiar in social world. And I'm taking baby steps. Talking about what would you do if you weren't afraid? Even though I worked for Facebook for many many years, and now on TikTok, I w- I wasn't on social media really. I was just like literally with my family. So one of the things that I learned is like write, writing. I thought that writing the book was the big challenge, but actually marketing the book, sharing the book with the world, getting people to buy it. That's the big, you know, that, that's, that's what you need for, for people to experience the book itself. And it's so humbling. And I can actually cry saying this now that someone like you that has huge followership, that is respected, that I know that is known as a kind person, that you take that person with, you know, who knows who she, and you welcome me to your stage. You bring me to your stage let me say that this is this is for me this is for me 
This is this is everything, right? And I really hope that one day, if I have a stage, I can bring more stories to my stage. But I, I'm so grateful to you. And um, I just want to do, I do not take it for granted. And so many people need to learn from you. I just oh. want to say that. <laughs> well, I said it. I'm going to say thank you. I'm going to own, like, well, like you said. But equally, when you're, you know, it came through to me, I was like, of course I want to speak to you. Like everything you've done, you've literally, this is like what we all need right now more than ever. I really believe that, you know, I think if everyone stopped looking for everything else to solve their problems and realize you can do it yourself, it's hard, but you've got it in you, I think everyone will be so much happier right now. And I think, I do think the world needs your book. I think the timings are serendipitous. Mm. so anyway I wish you so well with your book um I'm I really am enjoying it I actually read it by torchlight at night (laughs) (laughs) so I'm like this it's so so wonderful I like to finish off um as I told you with a phrase or a mantra saying you you live by so what is that for you Mm. oh my gosh what is my mantra what was my mantra um this too shall pass. When I'm stuck, when I fail, this too shall pass. And that is applicable to everyone in every walk of life. It's perfect. It will pass. And you've got to just have hope because if, you're, if you've got life, you've got hope, right? Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for living in the moment with me. <laughs> Thank you, Olivia. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Bye.